Welcome to this special edition of the Nordic Talks podcast, recorded at the recent COP28 in Dubai. At this climate conference, we tried something new. We gave the word solely to the next generation. We asked youth delegates from Nordic countries to invite speakers from different parts of the world, people who've given their lives to the climate movement. In this session, you'll meet the entrepreneur Ada Osakwe from Agra, an institution working for a sustainable growth of Africa's food systems, for a conversation on the complexities and future of sustainable food systems. I'm Josefine Falkwarts, and I'm handing over the microphone to the host of this episode, the Estonian youth delegate, Anna Celine Kroos. listeners live and on your favorite podcast app. Welcome to the Nordic Talks um, on reimagining food systems. My name is Anna Stilling-Kroos and I'm here today at COP28, joined by African business owner, investor, a passionate advocate for youth, women and climate change, also food systems. From Forbes magazine covers to advising ministers to make a change, a real change, please welcome Ada Sakvi. Thank you, Anna. It's great to be here. What do you think about sustainable food system? Is it possible in like real life to reimagine the food systems right now? Absolutely. Um, it is, and it's already happening, right? But I guess the question is, is it happening um, fast enough? Is it happening in an equitable way? And is it being spread in the places that we expect? Um, as you think about places where I'm from, you know, in the global south, I'm not sure that we've truly gotten the concept of it because we're dealing with other issues, right? There's rampant poverty, the issues around malnutrition, the issues around food insecurity, we're importing so much food instead of, you know, buying from our farmers. Um, but I think what's so critical right now and what the beauty of it as we think about sustainable food systems is that that's the opportunity as well. Right? You can flip that and say, hey, let's actually utilize our smallholder farmers, all 50 million of them in Africa, to be the core driver of the solution, the core driver of more resilient food systems by the way they farm, the way they start taking care of the health of the soil, by the way they ensure that they are putting you know, more diverse options for themselves and their communities and their families so that they're not exposed to climate shocks, for example. And the way we're really connecting to the entire, entire food system in a very serious way, um, from farm, or I would say from research, all the way um, to the table. So you think that small farmers are the key in developing sustainable food systems? Absolutely. Africa today has 65% of the world's arable land. 50 million smallholder farmers, they feed us. 80% of the food we eat on the continent are from smallholder farmers. But, you know, the flip side of it is, again, we're looking at an aging farming population. The average age of the farmer in Africa today is about 50 to 60 years old. So if we want to really count on farmers to be the solution to sustainable food systems, 
we have to get young people involved um, in farming and in the food systems. And that's possible, right? Right now in Africa, we have a situation where over 12 million youth enter the workforce every year, and there are only 3.1 million jobs available. So we need to create about 1.7 million jobs every single month to get young people involved. So many people turn to entrepreneurship, self-employment, but agriculture and our food systems is the biggest sector, the biggest industry that can take the largest number of young people to truly give them you know, wealth and, and dignity. And so I'm very excited about what the potential is, especially when you think about youth bringing innovation um, and technology um, to farming so that we do things more efficiently because that's at the core of sustainable food systems as well. We have to be more efficient. We have to be more efficient in how we farm. We have to use our resources more efficiently, less water to improve our yields, really thinking about more drought-tolerant crops, for example, in areas like Kenya that experienced a drought, or right now in Nigeria, my country, we're seeing rains in December, which typically doesn't happen. You had a cyclone in Malawi. So with these weather issues um, that are coming because of climate change, um, young people using innovative solutions, bringing technology um, to the agricultural food system will be very critical. I know that you have a very like, clear concept or you have this principle or you, you imagine food systems in your own way. Can you walk us through your perfect vision of sustainable food system? A few years ago, um, you know, I had been working with the Minister of Agriculture of Nigeria as a senior investment advisor. And this was my first time after a world of private equity and finance and and, and you know, just doing banking. This was my first time being exposed to agriculture. So I moved to Nigeria from New York and I was basically seeing how we had waste. I would look at tomatoes on the streets during the farming harvest season because they couldn't be transported out of the farm. I would see cassavas having to stay in the ground because there was nowhere to store it, and it only has a two-day shelf life. If you have nowhere to, it has nowhere to go. Um, so our farmers were really losing out, and yet you would see the stats that would tell us that oh, Nigeria is the largest producer of citrus fruits in Africa. Nigeria is the eighth largest producer of pineapples in the world. Nigeria is the largest producer of tomatoes in Central Africa. And I'm like, so why don't I see any tomato products on the shelves when I go shopping in Nigeria or anywhere else in the world? Why don't I see value-added products? And why am I seeing so much food waste in these exact same products that were the largest producer? And the flip side is that we have up to 40 to 60% food waste at the farm level or food loss at the farm level because there's no transportation, no storage, no industry to buy. So the demand, the pull from our farmers was missing because mostly industry would import. We were spending over $40 billion annually importing food rather than buying it locally from our farmers. So for me, I think I had finally found that light bulb moment. You know, after doing all this, like I said, private equity, infrastructure finance for years, I was like, I think agriculture is where I want to be. 
right? We have to change this narrative. We have to create a pool for our farmers' produce. So I decided to um, set up a business that did exactly this. Um, first of all, a juice company um, that was buying only locally grown food um, products, and I targeted fruits and vegetables. Um, and I did that for a reason. The health factor and the nutrition factor was also a personal goal of mine. 86% of Nigerians eat an unbalanced diet. Yet we see research that's showing about 47% of Nigerians are actually interested in healthier eating. But then less than 10% of the quick service restaurants serve healthy food. So I was like, you know, so I want to eat healthy and there's nowhere to go. Instead, we were seeing Burger King, people lining up to get Burger King franchises or KFC franchises. I was like, no, in the same way we're leapfrogging technology, let's leapfrog in the area of better nutrition, more accessible, healthy food that's sourced locally. And bringing those two pain points or opportunities together, I started Newly Foods that... I mentioned sourcing locally from farmers um, in Nigeria. We started the juice product, um, but today we have, actually we just opened, while I was here, we opened our ninth cafe, our ninth restaurant, which is a farm-to-table restaurant brand um, in Lagos, Nigeria, um, that serves only locally grown produce, indigenously grown produce, sourced from smallholder farmers across the country. So we buy about 300,000 kilograms of fruits and vegetables and other products every single quarter from our farmers and we add value in these, in these, in these ways and we sell them. Um, but at the same time, it's just fantastic to see the stories. Apart from on the farm, for me it was so important to address this issue of better health and better nutrition in the urban areas with our brand. We don't talk about it enough when they talk nutrition and you have the donors who are coming to Africa to say, oh, there's malnutrition, oh, there's stunting. It, and it's mostly in the rural areas and children are being stunted at five years old. Their growth is being affected. Their, their, their brain health is being affected. It's so important. And I think there's a role for that. Every day we need to even do more. But there's so much going on in our cities. Africa's cities right now you know, urbanization. We're going to be about 100 million people in our cities alone in the next few years. So two-thirds of the, the rural urban migration happening is, is in the cities, of the population growth in Africa is going to be in cities. So we have to think differently. There is overnutrition happening because big food is pushing um, their products in ways that are not sustainable. And so having options like our brand and getting testaments from consumers who say my parents had high blood pressure and because we can easily buy your beetroot juice or because now you're using Fonio, the superfood grown in the Sahel region in Nigeria. We're using Fonio for our salads. We're not using rice, we're not using wheat. And now my cholesterol levels have dropped that for me is just beautiful to see. It's so beautiful to see. And we need to do more of that. And that's what keeps me going. Because the flip side, again, is that it's not easy being an entrepreneur in Africa, specifically in Nigeria. There's so many challenges. And we're dealing with a value chain that still hasn't been fixed 
I talked about the fact that there was food waste, about 40% food waste due to the lack of um, refrigeration or cold chain or storage. We still deal with that in my business. I'm dealing with fruits and vegetables, yet, you know, you have to get the cold trucks or sometimes when it's coming from the farm, it's in this hot lorry in baskets and you're like, really? Um, so we're trying to do more and invest more on that side of things. Um, and you may be thinking, oh, you started a restaurant. Yes, we've understood your story around food loss at the farm. But then you still went to start, start a restaurant dealing with fresh produce you, and in a country that doesn't have the infrastructure or the power to take care of that. So aren't you still getting food waste at the restaurant level? Um, and my answer is no, because I was so intentional, even in the way we designed our menu, um, from portion control to including circularity in the menu. Um, our plantains, for example, we use them as plantain fries. You can have it with a wrap or a salad. Um, but when it's starting to get soft or not as hard for a fry, we make them plantain patties. So you mix it with the peppers and you make them a little nice, you know, like a pancake. And it's just the way it should be. So if we're more thoughtful about the way we run the hospitality business, I think things will be drastically changed um, and things will be drastically different for our food systems in Africa. Gosh, I really want to try out these patties you're <laughs> making. And also, as the Nordic nutritional recommendations were updated quite recently, and as we heard, you are the owner of one of the, I think it was in the uh, year 2021, you were the owner of the fastest growing restaurant chains in Nigeria. From your experience, can you like proudly say that healthy food is sustainable food? No, I can't say that yet. So we're growing. I mentioned earlier that 47% of Nigerians are seeking healthier options. It wasn't the case when we started. We've been part of that movement in a big way. And it's because we could make it accessible and affordable. We need to talk about the affordability of healthier options. I know you can relate to this, you know, given where you're from. And even if we're trying to push a plant-based diet or, you know, diets with more fruits and vegetables. Food inflation is a real thing. We had to slightly increase our prices two weeks ago because we're facing inflation levels in the double-digit levels, right? Over 25% inflation right now. So the macroeconomic conditions completely affect us. But you still get folks who tell us you're still making it really affordable for me to eat. But I wish I could even do it cheaper even cheaper, right? Um, what, the way we sell our beetroot or our carrot juice, for example, um, versus a carrot or beetroot juice in Denmark, say, you know, which is maybe 10 euros or eight euros, I don't know. Ours is equivalent to maybe less than a euro. Yes, it is of comparable quality. Products that didn't even maybe use any pesticides or, you know, and all of that. So, um, we really have to look at things in a tailor-made way um, and the context of the countries we're in, and that's how we've had to operate. At the end of the day, for me, it's just how are we changing behaviors? How are we making a, a tangible imp impact on our smallholder farmers and on the communities around us? 
I love that you bring out this Nordic versus African comparison because I'm from the Nordics, you're from Africa, and I can see that we grow up in like very different, like we had a very different childhood basically. So when you are like taking this on a global perspective, would you think that Nordic and African people have different perspectives to food when you talk to them? Like, Absolutely. I would say, like I mentioned at the start, you know, we have more different problems, right? Yes, we're an oil-producing country, um, and we should be very rich, like some of the Nordic countries. But, you know, unfortunately, that's not the case. We don't add value to our our oil, um, and it's been misused. The wealth has not been spread equitably across the na- across the nation. And so um, we didn't grow up in the same sorts of environments that are equitable and think about the society as a whole. Um, but I feel like it's still something we need. There's still lots of learnings that we can do because this is the time. You know, you have enough African governments who are here. They have the pavilions right here at COP. Um, people are ready to make a change. I just came from a ministerial meeting um, that had the Minister of Agriculture from Rwanda, and he was talking about how for the next five years they're currently working on their strategy for food systems and nutrition. That's a big deal, right? Um, so the people are recognizing in Africa the importance of this. So we can learn a lot from what the Nordic countries have done, um, and and specifically in two areas. I would say the first is from a research perspective. Um, Evidence-based research and being able to put data out um, is always very important. It's the beginning. It's the origin of everything um, for policy. And then the second is on policy. Um, You know, I I see that the Nordic, I think the Nordic Council also has the food policy um, labs. And you know, I feel like that's something that right now I should be taking to our Minister of Finance and Agriculture and saying, let's learn from this. Let's incorporate this at the policy level Let to change our behaviors and, and really communicate to our population of what, about what matters and showing what government can do to incentivize um, better behavior, to incentivize healthier diets, um, and, and better and more sustainable food systems. So, so there's a lot we can learn. Um, and I think maybe a third thing I'll just throw out there is the learnings around when you even do policies, ensuring uh, you know, how do you still make sure it's sustainable, right? And even though people um, at some point get excited and maybe start following, it, following in the direction of policy, how do we make sure that there's no malaise and they don't later say, yeah, but I actually enjoy my meat. I'm tired of this plant-based diet. I want to go back to meat, you know? Um, how do we keep the momentum uh, even, even when things are done right? And I think there are things we could potentially also learn or share thoughts about the experiences from the Nordic, Nordic countries like Denmark, for example. Coming back to the politicians and politics, <laughs> what should we lead leaders do to solve these problems? Do you have like a call to action for them? Yes, the call to action is, is, is to, to not just show up, right? But to follow through. We need to follow through. They need to follow through. It's not about showing up at COP. It's the start. The fact that you're in the rooms for conversations, it's important. Um, but you have to follow through. 
and you know we have to hold them accountable um, to ensure that happens and call them out when they're going away from the plan. So that for me is really the, the big call to action. Show, not just show up, but follow through. Mm, one of the questions that uh, some people have um, or the thoughts they have is that every business owner, uh, owner's goal is to make profit and grow their business. But for the planet that has limited resources, we have to cut down and reduce our consumption to be sustainable. So I, I, I'm just thinking, what is your strategy? Do, do you think that the food uh, industry, uh, profit and sustainability, uh, sustainability can be achieved at the same time? Just your... It can. Okay. <clears throat> if you have the will to do it. And it depends on what your incentive is and, and your intentionality of doing this. I think... I think it's very possible. You just have to have the policy in place um, and you have to have the people who are willing to, to make that change. It's possible. I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> and I think just because I'm a young person and I don't get to meet uh, your like people from your like experience every day, can you just give me like one recommendation yeah, when you're thinking about African youth or you, young, young people all over the world, like what can we do to take action on this food systems takeover we have like there? What, what is our, like, what can we do to make the world go around? <laughs> this is the first time at a COP that you're having the youth really taking center stage, right? Yeah, just talking from a young per person's perspective, I think, yeah, this is the first time at COP we have a youth day. And we also have a day for food, as we do now. But I think uh, that often uh, women and young people are left out of the picture when, when the, like, the serious crisis emerge. We just like, like to do this uh, in another way. Just, just like one recommendation you have for me yeah. to take action. Because I'm also a medical student, so I just want to have this healthy, sustainable food for my future patients, and and not only in the Nordics, but also in yes. Africa. Anna, right. you need to hold your politicians accountable. Okay. Keep knocking at those doors. Okay. Yeah? Keep on them. Remind them of what their commitments were. Remind them and hold them accountable. I think that's it from us today. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. It's great to be here. Thank you. Check out our website, nordictalks.com, and meet the people participating in each episode. I'm Josefine Folkvats. Thanks for listening. <laughs>